Hello and welcome to Sam for Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I am excited to welcome Philip Krajic. Philip, thank you much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, please just go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Philip Hracek. I am a developer relations engineer at Google, and I'm working on the Flutter team. Great. Can you give us maybe a path how we ended up doing what you're doing today? I started programming on a typewriter before we had a computer. I was enamored in programming after reading a book for like several times. And then I just didn't have a computer, but typewriter was kind of looked like a computer. So I started writing programs on that. I started programming in a very young age and then continued programming for a long time. And then when I was in my teenage years, I realized to my horror that my father is approving of this turn of events. <laughs> my father was like, oh yeah, that's great. You'll have a stable job with a lot of money. That's great. And of course, I was an idiot, so I needed to do something else. My training is in journalism, so that's my university degree is in journalism. But I still stayed close to programming. And in the end, this kind of rebellion actually was pretty good for me because when I joined the workforce, I guess, I started kind of merging the two things. So I knew programming, but I also knew how to talk and write about stuff. And so this kind of naturally led into me being kind of a trainer and like an explainer of things. And that's what I've been doing ever since, basically. So I've been at Google for 13 years now. And for the past 10 years, I have been helping developers understand and use SDKs. Great. And coming back to what you are focusing on today, it's uh, as far as I know, related to Flutter, right? Yes, yes. So I'm a developer relations engineer on Flutter, which means that I work on code samples, on videos, on documentation about that particular thing. Some people might know it, some people mightn't. So Flutter is... Um, SDK for building apps for Android, iOS, desktop, web, all the platforms. The main selling point, I guess, is that it ships with its own rendering engine, and therefore it looks the same on all of those platforms. And it also runs very well on all those platforms because it doesn't need to go through another like third-party rendering engine or anything like that. So yeah, so that's Flutter. And of course, the team is pretty big now, so I specialize. I specialize in performance. I specialize in state management, and I specialize in like that kind of interface between designer and developer. And you have been doing this for a while, you know, helping people embrace and get better at things and understand. Has that changed over time in some particular way that you might want to point out? So obviously the last two years were very different because of the pandemic. So we had to pivot from going to conferences and talking in person to doing a lot more online stuff. In general, I think in the 10 years, I've seen a lot more focus on being kind of more inclusive. And I mean it very generally, like thankfully, people are understanding that not all engineers have the same background and the same path and that it actually matters who you are and where you're coming from in terms of how you learn to program. 
we're not there yet. We're not perfect yet, but it's getting better. We've just released the CICD for Mono Repos ebook. It's for software engineers who are evaluating or want to optimize the Mono Repo way of software development. You'll learn how to build a Mono Repo first CICD pipeline and have a functional microservice application built, tested, and deployed from a Mono Repo. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com backslash resources backslash monorepo dash CICD. And you also mentioned that you are somehow helping developer-designer relationship as what you're focusing on. Can you expand on that? Yes. So this is really my passion, kind of, because of my history as well, because I did audiovisual design in school and stuff like that. I think if you look at, this is a cliche, but if you look at our day-to-day as users, we have screens everywhere. There's a bunch of things happening on the screen all the time. Just now I have four screens around me and it's not even like a special thing. This is like normal now. And also new and exciting things are coming to like the hardware of screens, right? I just learned about these translucent screens. So screens that you can look through like in Minority Report and in, you know, Star Wars, that's exciting. And that's something that we as developers need to deal with. And I think it really, really makes you as a developer a lot more valuable and employable if you know design, if you know how to deal with these things. And if you have part of you that kind of can think in colors and typography and motion design and so on and so forth. So I think this is a Microsoft thing, but they said that when they found a developer who knew design, they called them unicorn developers because they were rare, but they were also very valuable. Because when you have all of that in one hat, you don't need to spend time explaining between one another the things that can be done and should be done, right? And the third thing is that in this world where we have so many screens, so many different form factors, it is more and more important to think about procedural design. And what I mean by that, it's not something that you can design in Adobe After Effects or some, you know, Figma. It's something that needs to automatically translate to the environment. Like, you know, an app that knows that it is on a big screen, but also there is another component to it that is running on a smaller screen. And that screen is to the left and now it's to the right of the big screen, right? So now you have to fluidly do something. And this is an extreme example, but like there's so many things that you can't do as a static design you have to do in code. Yeah. All of us are in that situation that we are surrounded by screens of many formats and, you know, form factors and all that. So I think this is something people can relate to. I can just add to this story that over years working with developers, you know, one breakdown that you can make is that people who are excited and find some, you know, satisfaction when they make something which is also visual, you know, and can be seen. So on the contrast, you can write amazing SQL query, which is very performant and all that. And some people, you know, excel in those areas. 
However, it's very important for the people who are working on visual things to also, I think, find that visual satisfaction that they made something they can now see and show and just want to interact with that. It's just not exciting for people who don't find that. I should say that you shouldn't be forcing yourself to become one of those designer developers. Of course, if you're into backend, then that's an exciting thing of its own. I'm just saying, like, if you have a little bit of that's what you just said, you should look at it more deeply. And that sometimes goes down to like picking up a book about color theory and reading it. That's like four hours of your time that might completely change the way that you're building. Moving from here, is there maybe something else working over time that is now become the maybe focus of how you see things and what are important? Yeah, I'm thinking there are a few things. One thing that I realized recently was the art of finishing. Basically how we as developers are really good at tinkering and optimizing. Yeah, I'm generalizing, but a lot of us really love looking at stuff deeply and thinking about stuff. And then it's really hard for us to finish unless we have some pressure from outside, right? So if you're in a team, then it's pretty easy to finish because everyone else is kind of pushing on you. But I've seen it on myself and on others. If you're building something of your own, like maybe you have a side project, then it's really easy to just keep working on that side project forever and then come up with a new one and then work on that forever and like never finish. The thing is, as you know, as a founder, something that feels like the last 20% of any project is actually the 80% of any project. And it's often the most boring and least motivating part of the project. I think in the startup board, they say, right, like if you are bored, you're on the right track. Isn't that the case? <laughs> well, there are many indicators. <laughs> I can agree that that could be one of those. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> So anyway, I think that's important to realize that it feels much better if you actually launch and finish something, even if it's a side project. But a lot of people will not do that because it means a lot of kind of self-discipline and sometimes pain that you have to go through. But again, it's really nice to be able to say, yeah, I finished something and now it's out. And I always say, this is why God invented product managers. Because if without product managers, some of the engineers would just keep tinkering and working and also discussing something. So this is a tangent, right? But I can't count the number of hours that I've spent reading and clicking through like Hacker News and Reddit about stuff that really isn't that important, but it feels really important and it feels really good. It's like juice for my brain, but it really isn't that's important. It's not like practical to what I'm working on. And the same thing goes for like refactors where you have a project and you're like, oh, this looks good and I really want to finish it, but I need to rewrite it into another framework and language because of course, <laughs> right? So that's why I'll say like be more pragmatic, learn how to finish because it's a skill. There's a good blog posts out there from the game development world where they're like, this is how you finish games. And there are like five steps or something. And this really helped me. And yeah, finish stuff and ship it. 
We've just released the CICD for MonoRepos eBook. It's for software engineers who are evaluating or want to optimize the MonoRepo way of software development. You'll learn how to build a MonoRepo-first CICD pipeline and have a functional microservice application built, tested, and deployed from a MonoRepo. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com backslash resources backslash monorepo dash CICD. That industrial game development is like notorious for, you know, some games are five times over the budget and deadline and all that. But what would you maybe pull out as a three things that you would share on finishing projects and putting you in that mindset of like, okay, you are going to succeed and do this, this, and this. First of all, I think it's, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to understand that you have a problem, right? A lot of people are like, well, I don't really want to finish it because I have a new project. So I think that's the first step. It's like, no, 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 you actually like pick a project and say to yourself, I need to finish it. And it, it can't be like, oh, I finished an experiment. No, you have to actually launch something. So that's the first. That was a really important step for me. For a long time, I was like, oh, I'm just playing. But no, that doesn't count. That doesn't count as much as when you actually launch. So that's first. Second, understand that building a product is a lot of boring kind of grind in the end, right? And if you see it, instead of backing away immediately, you should be like, oh, this is what it feels like to finish and kind of, you know, go through it. It's not all grind, of course, but it's definitely you lose that first few months of doing any project. It's like, oh, this is exciting and I'm doing so much progress. That's not what finishing the product feels like at all. But in the end, you finish it and it's really great. It feels really great. And the third one, and that's something completely lifted from that article that I'm talking about, is just having a launch date, like having something that you tell others that, okay, I'm going to work on this and I will finish it by January 2023 or something like this. And then you have to be the PM of yourself. In a side project that I recently finished, I had to do all these things like, creating a spreadsheet and figuring out which features will take how many like weeks and then actually slashing some of these features actually most of these features and you know thinking about it as a pm really helped yeah great just wanted to add to the second point that you were presenting if you are alone in it i face there is that self-doubt especially when you get to that boring stuff okay, maybe it shouldn't be like this. You know, this is now a sign that I'm now in some dead-end street that I shouldn't be in because it feels that way. And once you learn that there is a period in project where you should have that feeling of like doing that last five iterations on small and boring stuff, as you said, oh, that's what finishing feels like. <laughs> and uh, maybe connected to this to some extent, tinkering with things, it's great. It's what education for a lot of us is, you know, when you are playing on the side of things, that's the way you learn. So that finishing things and learning and, you know, helping people, you know, digest these new SDKs and so on. Are there some patterns that you might be seeing that 
you might give advice to a people who are onboarding Flutter, any other SDK, you know, how to approach it, how to set the goals, boundaries, or structure milestones for yourself? Yes, that's a great question because we're thinking about it a lot in Flutter, especially. Flutter excels in kind of UI and kind of this short iteration time. So it's very good for tinkering. And that is both good and bad, right? Because sometimes you just get enamored in like making a little changes to some project and then it kind of flickers out and you don't really have anything. So my advice, if you're trying to learn a new SDK, everyone is a little different in their approach, but I think most people love to have some motivation for learning that new thing, right? And I mean, not an abstract motivation as in like, I want to make money, but more concrete, like I want to build this particular thing. And I think the best approach is to say, okay, I'm going to do like the first tutorial because that's often needed. Like go through the official tutorials first to learn stuff. And that's kind of boring, but it's important. And then take that information and then just start tinkering and working on something that you care about, but make it small, you know, at first. Do something like, oh, I want to do a little app that will track, I don't know, weather. And the main goal, for example, is to put it into your portfolio. Maybe you're starting up as an engineer, so you want to have something there, right? And so you start doing that. And then by being motivated in building and finishing something, you will have a lot more motivation to learn the stuff that people are talking about. What I've seen is some people will kind of start just like learning, like in school, like they will start reading articles, but they don't understand why they actually need to learn that, you know, until they actually face it in their work. And they're like, oh, okay. Now, for example, in state management, they will try tinkering in a, with some kind of naive approach, which I think is fine. You shouldn't wait until you understand everything. You will start with a naive approach. Then you will find how that naive approach can be bad. And then you read about how to make it better instead of trying to learn without any experience about the best possible approach and then like applying it religiously to everything and not really knowing why you're doing it. I think that's the best way to learn SDKs and new technology in general. Great. This is a great advice. And then it ties to what we were talking about previously. If there is that small app, which can be a weather tracker or calculator, whatever in that new thing. But if you want to finish it, then you will also probably get to some boring stuff of like packaging and shipping and, you know, release management, which I don't know, for me personally was not ever super exciting part, but it has to be done and you has to go through that last chapter of the book. Usually in my mind, there is in any programming book, there are those last two chapters that are like release management or you know, something like that, that you never want to touch. <laughs> you never went to deeply. And for some things, my personal experience, I end up pushing through maybe even a couple of years without really digesting that, or I could have in the beginning, but you know, just wasn't interesting. Yes. Yes. And it's also by actually doing these things and forcing yourself to do these things, 
you will demystify them. For me, like CICD a few years ago, it was just magic. It was like, I don't understand what this does. And I probably am not smart enough to understand this. Please, someone else do this. And then you are forced to use it. And you're like, oh, it's actually just some computers running your code somewhere. (laughs) You know, it's not that complicated. It's just you have to force yourself to do it. We are now running in danger of ending the episode of how CICD is something that is carrying out there. And I can just encourage people, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. You just get through it. And I would just add that when people, especially maybe non-technical people, ask me to explain what CICD is and CI is, is that it's a communication tool. That's a tool that helps you communicate with your fellow developers around the office. So we know what our state is. If our state is like 10th, red build on master, maybe we are struggling (laughs) in some area. That's a clever way to put it. Yeah. But like, yeah, so let's not end on CICD. I want to go back to the UI stuff. I think if you're an engineer, it doesn't matter if you're uh, new or actually really experienced, please go and pick up a book about design. I found a book called something like Universal Principles of Design which kind of like, it has like for every principle of design, it just has one page. And this told me a lot about how to structure things and then allow yourself to experiment with UI. I'm a big, big nerd into sci-fi UI, like, you know, what they call futuristic UI, the stuff that you see in movies used in like, you know, Alien or Minority Report. And I feel that it's time has come Because in some ways, of course, the movie UI is made to look nice and it isn't necessarily made to be used well. But we are now in a time where we no longer need to describe everything in terms of metaphors. Like when I was starting with UIs back in the 90s, Everything needed to be very, very clear because for a lot of people, computers were new. You know, every icon had to have a, like, you know, the save button was always a diskette and this kind of stuff. But now if you look at who's using computers, like nobody needs that anymore. So you can be a lot more free in how you build your UIs. And especially if you think about all the translucent screens or foldable screens, you can now imagine and develop pretty crazy UIs that you would normally see in sci-fi movies only and that are actually helpful and look good and are usable as well. So if only one person listening to this podcast takes it up and actually makes something cool like that, I'm happy. Great. Yeah, which uh, also made me realize that maybe time has come that with that translucent screen, we could have something minority report like, and it's not something that will happen in 50 years. Yeah, (laughs) great. Well, thank you so much. It was very interesting talk and I hope that our listeners are going to pick at least one thing which they can apply to their day-to-day lives from this episode. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you for having me. It was great. Good luck to you.